Hello, this is Angela, and you're listening to my podcast, Springs of Zion. I just want to thank you for joining me today, and I appreciate um, any feedback that uh, I've been getting. It's pretty fantastic. Um, It always encourages me to know that what I'm sharing is helping you in your journey. So um, on my blog, fruitsofhisvine.blogspot.com, is this word, dawn is coming. So on February 7th, I heard dark days of dawn. And I just love the mysterious way in which God speaks. It never ceases to amaze me. A few days earlier, I had a dream about a sea monster right before dawn. But scientifically, it's actually darkest at midnight, not right before dawn. But it was pretty dark. And dark days of dawn, I was like, hmm, is the Holy Spirit trying to tell me to look into this a little further. So I went back into my journal and sought the Lord, and he gave me Isaiah 60. Dawn is coming. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. I just love this. So the Lord is saying, no matter how dark it is in the world, we shine our light. Dawn not only represents a time of day, but it marks a new beginning. And as I prayed about this, I'm praying for an encounter for you guys. Just like it says in Isaiah 48. Tested in the furnace of affliction. I mean, isn't that what this last three and a half years has been about? Isaiah says, and now listen to this, family of Jacob, you who are called by the name Israel. We are Israel, you guys. Who got you started in the lion of Judah? Because we heard the lion, remember? You who use God's name to back up your promises and pray to God of Israel. But do you mean it? Do you live like it? You claim to be citizens of the holy city. You act as though you lean on the God of Israel, named God of the angel of armies. For a long time now, I've let you live in the way I worked. And I told you what I was going to do beforehand. And then I did it, and it was done, and that was that. I know you are a bunch of hard, hard hard-headed, obstinate, flint-faced people. So I got a running start and I began telling you what was going to go on before it even happened. This is why you can't say my God idol did this. My favorite God carving commanded this. You have all the evidence confirmed by your own eyes and ears. Shouldn't you be taking talking about it right now? And that was just the beginning. I have a lot more to tell you. Things you never knew existed. This isn't a variation of the same old thing. This new, brand new something you've never guessed or dreamed about. When you hear this, you won't be able to say, I knew that all along. You've never been good listeners. You've had a history of ignoring me. A sorry track record of fickle attachments and rebels from the very womb of your mother. But out of sheer goodness of my heart, because of who I am, I keep a tight rein on my anger and hold my temper. I don't wash my hands of you. Do you see what I've done? 
I have refined you, but not without fire. I have tested you like silver in the furnace of affliction. Out of myself, simply because of who I am, I do what I do. I have my reputation to keep up, and I'm not playing second fiddle to any other God in your life. I mean, you can't even make that up. That is amazing. I feel like that's exactly what happened. I would get, you know, a little, just a little nudge of the Holy Spirit, and then God would go, and then I'd, he'd give me another leading, and then he would go, and then he'd give me another leading. And then I went through a very hard warfare season, and maybe that's where you are right now. But this beast, can you guess what this beast is in my dream? It's not a person. It's not a people. It's a spirit. Paul refers to this experience as the start of his new life in Christ. And at the center was this wonderful experience that I keep talking about of Jesus himself. This is your harpazo. This is your encounter with Christ. Acts 9, 35, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 15, and Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Read these verses, you guys. Get out of the furnace. (laughs) Get out of the refining furnace. Step up. If you've been longing to go deeper with God or just begging God to, to take you out of the furnace, please read Paul's vision. He saw the actual risen Christ in Acts 9, verse 17. Paul acknowledged Jesus as Lord. He confessed his own sins. He surrendered his life. And he resolved, I will obey you, God. Our true conversion or harpazo comes from a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and leads to a new life in relationship with him. I witnessed this for you. My life has changed dramatically. And if you feel a nudge right now, then just keep listening because God is drawing you. Be encouraged. The Holy Spirit has led this. There has been so much warfare about this word. I had to get it posted just to get it off my heart. But I wasn't able to do the podcast for an entire week. All kinds of crazy things. We had a a windstorm here, 45 mile an hour gusts. My son had dental surgery. Um, I mean, just all these crazy things. So I believe God is doing some amazing work, not only in our culture and our society, but within each of us. He's unfolding his amazing work to take place. And that dark sea creature that I saw leaving my city is going to or is leaving your city as well. And the city in God's word, you know, he's three-dimensional. It can be an actual physical city, It could be a spiritual place, or it could actually just be within his temple, you or me. So be warned here. This word is not about who you think you are. No, this is about who God says you are. And if if you're hearing something that you're not worthy, then the enemy is lurking. He's in your midst. And just renounce him, rebuke him, and just call in the Holy Spirit. Pause this podcast. Holy Spirit, come. Please come, Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome here. And this this blocks the enemy so that you can hear what your destiny is. So say with me, my true destiny is with Christ. 
Let's say it again. My true destiny is with Christ. And say this a few times during the day if you're really battling. Because the word Christ, the enemy flees. He doesn't like it. So I want to encourage you just to take a moment now. Pause this podcast to hear what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you personally. This this word is very important to God's remnant. I believe the timing is perfect. Even though I tried for two weeks to get this podcast out, (laughs) God has a personal Purim for each of us. And it comes in the 12th month of the Hebrew calendar, which is spring or March or April. So prepare your hearts. God is doing a mighty work, even in the dark. For today's message, though, my sea creature, I want to talk about it. Well, I believe the sea creature is the one that Job wrestled with in chapter 40 and 41. There were actually two, the behemoth, which is stubbornness, and the Leviathan, which is pride. I know they kind of interlock each other, but one's of the, of the land of our heart and one's in the sea. I mean, it's just so prophetic. I love it so much. But I believe these sea creatures are leaving us. God has chosen a whole bunch of us who have literally gone through hell and back. And he has been sifting us. And he's cleaning us of our wounding and our unforgiveness. And these monsters are being defeated by God. It's nothing that we can do except go to the foot of Jesus and repent for our sin. And, you know, I just learned something too recently. It's not so much your sin or my sin. It's the sin of Adam. (laughs) We have to go to Jesus and repent for the sin of Adam. That is the first rapture of our hearts. And then Jesus comes. So I just think that's so amazing. There is victory in the horizon. Okay, do you believe this? And it's going to be most likely when you least expect it. Before we get too excited, though, we got to look at what Job wrestled with. I mean, Job, we're told he was an amazing man of God, right? And he's blameless of God who turned from evil and sought the father. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and feared God, meaning he had reverence for God. I feel like our society today does not fear God. And he abstained and turned from evil because he honored, he wanted to honor God. That's Job 1, verse 1. But guess what? He challenged God. And God challenged him back. God said, all right, see if you can control this great powerful creature, the behemoth, in Job 41, verse 15. God did this because in Job's great suffering, he frequently asked to be allowed to have a trial with God. In Job chapter 9 and 13, he called God's justice into question. That's how he challenged God. Can you imagine calling God into question? Well, <laughs> it's easier than we think because each time we question your, our circumstances, we're actually questioning God's judgment. I mean, the enemy is sneaky, isn't he? When he says things like, you don't deserve this. You deserve better. No, we don't. We don't deserve better. What we want to pray about is favor and mercy of God. 
Job 41, God continues to challenge Job by getting him to consider his inability to control another giant animal, the terrifying Leviathan. Leviathan is all over the internet. And this creature is on land and in the sea, according to mythical. There, I mean, this, this creature's in all kinds of cultures. So I want to share my dream that I had a few days before the Lord said, dark days of dawn. This dream, I didn't think, it was just a blip. It didn't, think, didn't have a lot of significance in my mind. I was like, hmm. I was standing at the edge of my city, looking out at the sea. So like in a harbor kind of looking place. The sun had not reached the horizon. I didn't see any boats though. But there was a light just before dawn. So it was kind of dark. And to my right, I see this huge grayish creature. I couldn't see the color of it. Resembling an elephant with four short legs, clawed toes, a long neck, and an alligator tail. I know this creature because I have read the word of God. And I, as I watched it walk right out of my city, down onto this beach, sandy beach, and into the sea. And just as it entered the sea, it paused and disappeared into the water. And I woke up. There wasn't much more to the dream. And when I woke up, I was like, huh, I just had a question mark. God is strong and he wants his remnant strong. He says in Joshua 1, verse 9, Have I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I think I felt the covering of the Lord. I knew that creature was someone that, a creature of, you know, destroying, but he didn't really have that look to him. So let's take everything that God has set out for us, his well-made materials, and put them to our use in this situation. Our first weapon is always the Word of God. We've been told through a previous dream of mine that we have everything we need to stand up to these monsters, these devils, these principalities. And you can go to my blog, fruitsofhisvine.blogspot.com, and read these, or just go back and listen to um, the podcast, We Have Everything We Need. The battle is no weekend war, you guys. We walk away. (laughs) This is a battle where we walk from and forget in a couple hours. No, I don't think so. This is a war for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against Satan and all his principalities. This sea creature, Leviathan, was created by God on the fifth day of creation, along with all the other sea creatures in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 21. And God saw that it was good. If we look into the world, we're experiencing the most vicious, manipulating, and controlling tactics of the enemy that we have ever seen. What's even crazier is the majority of society claims they're a Christian. And if this is true, it makes sense that Satan is making every possible effort to control the minds, the hearts, and souls of man in an effort to prevent the return of Christ. Because once Christ returns... The enemy is defeated, right? We know the truth. We live in a spiritual world. And our life isn't only flesh and blood, per Ephesians 6.12. We are of spirit. And we have to learn to listen in the spirit and to hear and to see and to be of spirit. 
And we're told by Isaiah, the servant of the Lord, to listen. Are we listening to the Spirit of God? Listen now. You know right from wrong. You who hold my teachings inside you. Pay attention to insults and when mocked, don't let it get you down. It's not a God. Those insults and mockeries are moth eating from brains that are a termite ridden. <laughs> but my setting things right lasts. My salvation goes on and on and on. So once we overcome all this garbage that we somehow believed in or didn't think we were worthy of, the battles are they still come, but they're not like life and death, like you feel like giving up completely, okay? If we listen and seek the Lord, God will evict our sea creatures. They're also known as the dragon in the word of God. And God's in Isaiah 51, I love this. Wake up, wake up, flex your muscles, God. Wake up, as in the old days and the long ago. Don't you once make mincemeat of rehab? Rahab, Rahab is also considered a dragon. He dispatched the old chaos dragon. And didn't you once dry up the sea, the powerful waters of the deep, and then made the bottom of the ocean a road for the redeemed to walk across? In the same way, God ransomed will come back. Come back to Zion, cheering and shouting, joy, eternal wreath their head on their heads. Ecstasy transporting them and not a sign of moans or groans. That's what Isaiah tells us. When we wake up to what God is doing, God flexes his muscles for us. He is the one that evicts these monsters. Isaiah says the Leviathan symbolizes the kings or pharaohs of Egypt, Babylon and Assyria, who oppose God's people. Crocodiles were plentiful in the Nile river so the israelites most likely associated them with egypt which enhanced the metaphor of egypt as a sinister sea monster we often hear exiting egypt as a metaphor for leaving the world yeah right and that day the lord will punish with the sword his fierce great powerful sword leviathan the gliding serpent leviathan the coiling serpent he will slay the monster of the sea isaiah 27 verse 1 God takes care of him for us. This is, this is the exciting part. Job gives us a little insight on this creature too. By the way, any hope of overcoming the Leviathan in your own strength, in your own prayer, it's false. Job could not hope to defeat the Leviathan. It was simply beyond his power to do so. His sneezing flashed forth light and his eyes are like eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Spikes, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke. As from a boiling pot and burning rushes, his breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. Job, verses 18 through 21. The Leviathan was a monster. He had terrible teeth, rows of scales, and tightly bound. This monster was sneezing and flashing lights of fire. Flames came out of his mouth. The Leviathan's strength dwelled in his neck. Sorrow danced from him, and he is the king over all children of pride. I broke down the description of the Leviathan, and it appears not only was God indicating to Job of his great might, but how vulnerable Job 
Job was to the enemy during his crisis. So strength dwells in his neck, meaning they are strong. Sorrow dances before him. It is a cruel and entertained by sorrow. They strongly defended. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be food cannot be moved his heart is as hard as stone they were unsympathetic hard at heart if this monster exists within our soul these are some of the attribute when he raises himself up the mighty are afraid they cause the might this spirit causes the mighty to fear this monster though the sword reaches him it cannot avail he laughs at the threat of javelins it cannot There is no success in the attack of this this Leviathan. It undersides are like sharp pot shreds. They have very few vulnerable spots. You never see this monster um, that someone is being attacked by or carrying this um, this this Leviathan. They're not vulnerable. They're hard-hearted. They're prideful. Um, they have no worthy adversaries. On earth, there's nothing like him. So they're lonely. He is a king over all the children of pride. And this spirit or this monster carries pride. So in order for Job to overcome it, he had to overcome every one of these attributes. I also thought Christian theologians' interpretation of the Leviathan was important to note. The use of the two names, Benthemoth and Leviathan, is a poetic repetition also known in Psalm 74. It refers to the breaking of heads of the monster, the heads of the Leviathan. This is what we're born into, you guys. This is not some occult spirit. This is, this is becoming humble and vulnerable. And once you understand the love of Christ... This Leviathan leaves. While it's true that Satan never named outside um, Leviathan, but he deals here with the same form. I mean, I believe the enemy uses this beast against us, right? If Job cannot subdue, subdue the Leviathan or Satan or whoever, whoever Leviathan is representing, how could he ever hope to stand against God who made and masters the Leviathan? I think the point is the Leviathan is impossible to subdue. And this beast is used in an effective way of setting Job in his proper place with God, just like us. There is a second point to this message that God himself is master over this beast. God is the master. Everything under heaven is mine. Job 41 verse 11. We can see the entire picture. God has dominion over all creatures, including the behemoth and the Leviathan. But Job and his friends didn't really get this. The Lord is illustrating to us in chapter 40 and 41 that his moral triumph over the forces of evil can only be done by God. Satan, the accuser, has been prolonged, proved wrong. And even though Job doesn't know it, that's the message. We have to come in agreement with God. And then these monsters are evicted. This is our message for the day. 
Even in the darkest moments, God is still on the throne working and the dawn is coming, no matter how dark it seems. If you're not convinced, we can look into Psalms where the Leviathan is actually mentioned as a foil for God's power. God is using this beast to head to our furnace, to sift us. You know, the world tells you it's judgment. <laughs> yeah, it could be judgment, but mostly it's God doing his work in us. It is you who spit open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the waters. It was you who crushed the hands of the Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. That's, that's David speaking, Psalm 74. Or that Leviathan is God's creature frolicking in the sea because he was created by God and the sea is vast enough to continue. There in Psalm 104, there is the sea, vast and spacious, with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro and the Leviathan, which you have formed to frolic there. So it can also just be a creature in the sea because that's what happened to me. I actually wasn't afraid. That sea creature looked like a harmless turtle going back into the sea when I was looking on. But the sea monster's power compares to God. He's used by God. And God decides when the enemy is allowed to steer this creature for his greater good. Just because it's dark outside and you can't see what God's doing, even if it feels like time is up for your miracle breakthrough, don't give up. Have heart. This is the darkest before the dawn. And in Mark, we read, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, our great wind in our lives collapses all the things that is not in unity with God. Job in chapter 1, his wind caused collapse of his son's house while they were feasting. He loses his livestock, his servants, and his children. <laughs> That's a lot of loss. This serves as a reminder that we are in constant spiritual warfare and that the enemy will use God's creation to try and shake our faith. But what did Job do? He remained in faith. That's the one thing throughout the entire book of Job. He continues to trust God's plan. Despite everything that happened to him, he still recognized God as sovereign and worthy of praise. God's words caused his trials, and the same words ended those trials. God is just as involved in our daily trials as he was in the creation of the world. One word from God can bring us down, but bless his name, and another word, bless his name, and he can rise us right up. So whenever you're in your worst trial, Try praising God. Try thinking of all the things that you're thankful for. This is what spiritual warfare really looks like. It's having unshakable faith. Trusting God despite the chaos that he is doing a mighty work in us and for us. Job's story also teaches us that even amid our trials, we can still hear God. God is still talking. God spoke to Job out of a storm. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of storm. He said, who is that 
that obscures my plans with words without knowledge. How prophetic is that? Job 38, verse 1 and 2. And he didn't have any, um, what is it going to say? Sorry, I lost my place. In my dream, I did not have any danger towards the creature, right? In fact, it was like watching a turtle going back into the sea. God has decided how long we have to live and given us the work to do. We are immortal until God appoints the time that he arrives. Job 14, verse 5. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, you have an appointed time, his limits that he cannot pass. Look away from him and leave him alone that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. Our enemy would like us to believe that this creature works for him and will destroy us, but we know the truth. God's actually in control. We can't be living in the world. We are to live on this earth like strangers and foreigners because we are to look for a city that cannot be seen with man's eyes. Jerusalem, the holy city, is the desire of our hearts. This is a prophetic spiritual place. We do not have a permanent home in this world, you guys. And that's when that, when we're trying to control things, that's when that beast works the hardest. This is what it means to walk in faith and to live like pilgrims, where there's no opportunities to return to sin. And we can continue to walk with God by the power of his spirit. We just don't want to. We don't want to sin anymore. We are to remember how God's fruit of love, peace, joy, long-suffering, self-control, all the fruits within each of us can be revealed to even non-believers. The dragon shall not surface because we seek the holy city, the holy city of Jerusalem. Job goes on to tell us nothing in our lives can handle the wake of this Leviathan makes because it's a destroyer. On a personal level, the Leviathan can symbolize any number of challenges or beasts in our life. The challenges include repeated negative cycles and beliefs about ourselves that are hard to break on our own. We need God. It could be abuse, addiction, cruelty, unhealthy relationships, unhealthy behaviors, unhealthy thoughts. The Leviathan symbolizes control and it wants to be the master of your life. On a world point view of the Leviathan, it symbolizes abuse of power, anarchy, a willful ignorance. I believe the sea creature Leviathan has been challenging all of us to seek the power of God to destroy the spirit working in our society as well and our cultures. And guess what? The only way to destroy this is through the power of God. God does it. Which is the most powerful force in the universe? love. We know this comes in the form of humility, vulnerability. That's when we get the face, sit in the face of God, is with love. If there's stuff lingering within us that we can't find love for even our most annoying neighbor or somebody we work with or a niece or a nephew, I don't know who it is. This is our blessed hope. Practice on these people. Practice being nice, even when they're just like snarling mean. We are called to walk in the light. 
just as he himself is the light. First John verse one, seven, living with every area exposed to God. This is the message, the land of Zebulun, glorious dwelling place and the land of Natalia, my struggles, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light. That would be you. And for those dwelling in that region in shadows of death, this light is their dawn. From the time Jesus began preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at land. Matthew 4, verse 12 through 19. And you know, this is not a new creature. The Lord led me to Thomas Hobbes. Uh, he wrote, he was a philosopher and a Protestant. And he wrote about the Leviathan in the 1600s. Can you even imagine? And you know what he said about this beast? He says, Leviathan is a mortal governor of mankind who is given great power by God and who is to be called the king of the proud. He's governed by God, you guys. There's nothing on earth to be compared with him. He is made as so as not to be afraid. He seethed every high thing below him and is king of all the children of pride. That's what that author and philosopher Thomas Hobbes. I put a link on my blog if you want to read his work. It, it's amazing. It, the Leviathan short circuits everything God has planned. And you're going to continue in warfare until you surrender and expose everything in your mind to God. And the last thing is we just, we can't be like every Christian out there. I mean, Hollywood says they're Christians and maybe they are. I'm not judging them. I'm just, when you see the fruit of people's lives, they haven't gone to the cross. Jesus went to the cross and we have to go there too. This is the truth. Jesus, in order that we can evict or God will evict the Leviathan in our life. It's the cross that puts it to death. This is the liberty. We will, you know, we're told, well, I don't know if we're told this, but it doesn't feel like we have to go to the cross. That's, that's like the message of Christianity today. But it's not true. Jesus went to the cross in order that we might go with him and live the resurrection life, meaning... Be humble. Be kind. Fight the urge to be a human viper. And God will evict this, all these terrible cycles in your life. By accepting Jesus' sacrifice, we are renouncing the right to ourselves. We experience with Him at the cross. Then we come to the cross. And what lies behind the cross is our own resurrection. You can't have Pentecost without Calvary. You can't have glory of a resurrection morning without the darkness of a crucifixion. But when we accept death to our own plans, our own programs, our own lives, our own ego, death to our ego, then beyond lies rest, power, and the secret of lost humility. We receive a restored humility, which we can share with God and his glory. When Christ who is in our life shall appear, 
then shall we be with him in glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to share this message. Thank you for revealing it to me through your Holy Spirit. Please teach us to accept the principle of the cross in our lives and what Jesus endured on our behalf. Help us to stop pushing away your hand that leads us to these experiences that spell death to our spirit. Teach me, teach all of us to accept that we know the joy and life filled with the fellowship of the risen Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the sun and the moon and the light and the earth and that you have dominion over everything and we trust you with everything. We praise you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this message blessed you. It went a little long today. And I just, I just pray that it stirred you, that you will seek the Father. Have a great day. Take care. Bye.